City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. The red light goes on and that means it's City Limits time. It's the first Wednesday of the month and it means it's John McPherson Day, our transport guru. Hello. Hello John, looking hair looking quite ruffled today. And wonderful. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that's that. And um, it is transport today. We're going to be talking to John about a number of transport issues. And We're not things. sure which ones yet, but mm-hmm. we'll about. There's plenty to talk about. And we've got Eugenia Zlipchenko over there who's Hello, um, chatting away. Meg's on the air. It's a bit like a football team here in this mm-hmm. week out, you know, but Meg's out this week. Uh, <laughs> but the good news is that I'd one's in and again, for the second time in three weeks, huh? Good morning. Morning, how are you? <laughs> Good Brecky show this morning, Ivan, by the way. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and um, there we are. So uh, I thought we'd get going with the usual. I think we'll get the Herald Sun first up again. Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. give them a yeah. yeah. okay. Because it, it's done it again. It's done a wonderful trick this week because two weeks ago we reported on this program that it had, but it had attacked the workers' rally two Tuesdays ago, wherever it was. Um, saying this was disrupting the city, it was causing enormous problems to the economy, etc. How dare workers stop and you know take over the streets and stop <laughs> the city running? I think I know running. where you're going. Uh, yeah. Well, yes. Now Monday <laughs> party time, stars gear up for Melbourne Cup fun, and then front page where to watch today's parade. And inside there was even a map of it and where you can go to watch it, etc., etc. And um, a um, a little line in the story that the march will stop Melbourne streets today. It's, it's and this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Yeah, so part there, of our heritage. <laughs> that's right. Now, and not, the unions aren't part of our heritage. No, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. no, no, no. Not Melbourne. No, let's, no, let's, no, no. let's completely forget the eight-hour no, day. Bread, the <laughs> bread and circuses are far more important yes. <laughs> than discussing something actually. Speaking of bread and circuses, by the way, um, Leading up to the 1996 Games, Melbourne made a bid for the Games. Mm-hmm. I remember going back and we had a huge campaign to stop it. And the government <laughs> was pushing it very hard. Right. Uh, and the group that stopped it was called Bread and Circuses. But <laughs> I raise that because just last week it was reported that Melbourne is now considering bidding for another Olympic mm. Games again, saying it's time oh, really? we had another Olympic Games, which oh, all dear. it does is... We put massive cost on the public purse and usually dis- displaces a lot of people. Well, most, yeah. most, cities, uh, most cities now are yeah. backing out of it. They, they're, 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 they think it's, it's too, too much of a, too costly yep. and too much of a You tell away, I'm going to pour some mm. tea. We all want tea, do we? So, yet, yet, yes, right. please, Kevin. But okay. yet, well, we're still happily, um, you know, full bore ahead, apparently, are we? Full bore Well, uh, it's thrown up as uh, the, the, someone's thrown up the idea of the government. I don't, I'm not sure how far it's got, but there's mm. talk of Melbourne bidding for another Olympic Games, mm. Mm. which is uh, wonderful news, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Give us yeah. some shiny new infrastructure to brag about, I'm sure. Yeah, well, well, all well, the so things like social housing we've got get relegated to the back burner <laughs> again. Be <laughs> way we get social housing. Well, we already spent. Well, we know we well, don't because, in fact, 
the Commonwealth Games Village mm. took over Royal Park, and in fact the old That's Royal right. Park Psychiatric mm. Hospital, and built all those places down there alongside the freeway that runs down to, between there and Royal Park Station. Mm-hmm. And that whole estate, which was a, now a private estate, and mm. you know, was in fact the Commonwealth Games Village, but that should mm. have been public housing yeah. on public land. And in fact, we argued at that time that in order to make, in order to make docklands a more livable sort of place rather than mm. the cold, windy joint it is, the Commonwealth Games Village could have gone on, on docklands and ended up as public housing on the edge of the city. But uh, yeah, naturally idea. enough, uh, nothing happened. No. Mm. As usual, speaking of public housing, there's a rally this Friday which was publicised on the Brecky Show. I interviewed someone. And um, I mean, you want to tell us the details? It's um, it's a little bit of details. But yeah, we did um, get someone on the show. I think it was, her name was Marceline. Yeah. And yeah, she was talking about the, the, the protest that's going on and the current status. Yeah, and it's Friday... Six o'clock at the State Friday, Library. Friday, six o'clock at State Library, yeah. That's the important bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important bit. Yeah, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's, uh, and it's on this Friday. We do hope people get there because it's part of that campaign and uh, mm. to make it an easy win the state election. So mm. let's on see that. what I saw happens. a comment the other day that um, one of our esteemed um, economists said that um, in New South Wales and Victoria, it's actually Liberal government's been better at providing public housing than Labor government's. Which is yeah. entirely possible. Mm. Anything yeah, is possible. That's right. Mm. Possible. But yeah, uh, I wouldn't deny it. Mm. Yeah, the bar's pretty, pretty low. It's pretty shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. as we've said before, I mean, the, the housing commission and part of their campaign is to get a, a separate housing authority mm. set up. Mm. But the mm. old housing commission had its own construction authority going way back when I was young, mm. and actually built public housing. Its role mm. was to build public housing, no. and also what it also did, like the state electricity commission and the gas and fuel corporation, when they were publicly owned, it employed. Apprentices and trained labourers. Now you get whenever there's a boom on, they claim there's not enough labour because mm-hmm. bosses are much more uh, recalcitrant about Having, yeah. about employing uh, apprentices. Of course, mm-hmm. and, um, apprentices, but yep. they used to mm-hmm. actually train the the tradesmen for those industries or tradespeople, which tradesmen mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. in those days. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Mm. Now here's an interesting item. Um, I thought. Um, uh, the bloke, the NAB, the NAB, which is a great name for a bank, isn't it? NAB. Anyway, um, <laughs> the NAB, um, NAB, yeah, NAB, NAB yeah. your money. <laughs> Andrew Thorburn appeared before the the senator, whatever, a couple of weeks ago, last week, and he um, he he's actually fingered something we would never have thought of. He's fingered what one of the problems with the whole bank thing was. And it is they put profits before people. Now, who would have thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> like a bolt from the blue, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's How do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, so he's on the ball, the old Andrew. And uh, but he, and he said he had no idea. He's, he, he admits he, he opposed the Royal Commission and said it shouldn't have happened. It was terrible, he said. But when they asked him why he, why he did think there was no need for a Royal Commission, he said he got it wrong. Because he's the bloke at the top getting millions in salary, so he would have no idea what's going on. Well, no, yeah, yeah. he wouldn't. Absolutely. <laughs> no. That's, that's, I mean, I think we can believe that. <laughs> in, you know, in some ways, we can believe that. In other ways, not. <laughs> yeah, OK. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. sort of... It's sort of um, all he'd be getting is the streams of financial information. He certainly not would not be getting any, you know, information that boiled down to individual cases, that's for sure. No, no. So he wouldn't be aware. Maybe, they, yeah, they're all down there yeah. earning their bonuses and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think they'd have some idea that somehow. I guess it's they've they've lived in the real world before they were in yeah. the position. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, look, I'm not in any way trying to absolve them of their blame, which they definitely deserve. It's, 
It's just that they get into these rarefied atmospheres. But they've come to a decision. It's a bit like people saying that Obama was this wonderful, sort of clean, wonderful young president of the United Mm. States, but he came through the Chicago Democratic (laughs) mob, you know, and and there there's blood everywhere. Mm. Um, (laughs) Every step you take, there's blood behind you. Well, apparently he rose without... (laughs) What do they say? People rose without trace? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Interesting that um, that... Apple thing in October oh, never yeah. is, but in Federation Square, mm. um, Heritage Victoria has recommended um, it get heritage protection. That's the bit, not the Apple thing. No. That it's there <laughs> want to tear down. Uh, that's pretty and um, unconventional that they would give heritage protection to something so modern. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, mm. I guess so. But you, you might go. They say Federation Square is an icon or something. So I no, I think it's that. a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the it's, it's, it's got sixty days, house. sixty days to fight back, but. Um, if, if it goes ahead and the Heritage Council decides to list it, it may require more stringent planning permit processes, which yes. is interesting. Um, <laughs> but we'll see what happens, but we'll yeah. keep an eye on that one because that's coming somewhere. Anyone else got anything to say, by the way, well, while I'm just I, waving I, I, on I'll here? say what I usually say about that Apple thing. Yeah. I don't see why it shouldn't be used to re- stimulate a down-and-out <laughs> corner of the CBD. Why wouldn't you use it? The Apple Store? Yeah, put it somewhere where it could actually... You mean not on Fed Square, but not somewhere on else? Fed Square, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. totally. There's so much mm. private land in the city, and that's yeah. why it's so horrible that they're thinking yeah. about putting it in Fed Square because yeah. it's one of the only public spaces that we uh, have. Yeah, yeah. There's like two. Yeah. <laughs> so that in City Square. Yeah, but Apple's done this all over the world. They've built these concept yeah thing things, yeah. and they have tried to dominate the um, major mm. civic square in these various capitals. Mm. So it's happened in Scandinavia, I know. Mm. And, and you think of Times Square in New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think that they're just so gloriously wonderful that, that they're, yeah. they're, they can only be an asset. But that's, you know, in America that kind of makes a little bit more sense because mm. you think about how much capitalism has contributed to mm. their culture, whereas now we have a choice in Melbourne whether that's the kind of identity we want for our public spaces. Mm. 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 They wanted to put one in, presumably, in St Mark's Square in Venice, but they thought it would have got flooded <laughs> out, so <laughs> took care of that. <laughs> But uh, I'm sure the Venetian Council Concilio would um, yeah. would definitely give them permission. Well, for, a, for a consideration, yes. That's right. yeah. or, or Milano, that beautiful no, not, square outside the cathedral. I'm not, not the, suggesting yeah. that all Italians are corrupt, but I'm suggesting. Yeah. I mean, they could Italian knock down that citizens. little church they have there. What's that That's called again? Right. You know, the one Duomo, with the little domes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could. Yeah, okay. They could pop an apple apple logo on the top of the roof. <laughs> <laughs> have the, have the right. genius bar on the altar and play the William Tell overture. Um, that was a very bad one. Um, Oh, thank you. I've just got it. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't think which, I get it. Which actually has the theme for racing, which was yesterday, wasn't it? That's that's in that, William Tell Overture. Um, anyway, the um, you'll be pleased to know that um, the National Gallery of Australia is possibly becoming insolvent and it's using its ac- and its acquisitions budgets being used to prop up its daily operation because the government mm. isn't giving it enough money. While on uh, the other that's hand, pretty dramatic. and uh, <laughs> yeah, and the um, and the National Archives of Australia yes. has this has um, said that a unique audiovisual items would be lost because of a lack of funding for preservation. Mm. At the same time, as the government's just put up five hundred million dollars to extend the Australian War Memorial, mm. Mm. so you've got to keep honouring 
the Honourable Dead, haven't you? Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, and next week, of course, it's going to be awful because the 11th is the 100th anniversary of oh. the end of it. Mm. Now, during this period, I mean, almost every week they find something that happened 100 years ago or during the Second World War or even Vietnam mm. Mm. Um, to honour our proud and brave, etc., etc. Twice during this this period, of course, from 1914 to 1918, or 2014 to 2018, um, they had, or we celebrated, the centenary of two referendums, two referenda, take your pick, um, which uh, in which people voted not to send people to war. Mm. Mm. But they were both... No, no, there was a seminar I went to last year, a day seminar, which looked at the whole question, but... In terms of the mainstream media in Australia, you wouldn't have known there'd been mm. referendums a mm. hundred years ago. Mm. All no, you knew no about, all you knew about, was that there was wonderful war and honour and glory and death. Well, and that destruction was that was that. fairly extraordinary that the referendums happened and that they voted no. Yeah, well, that um, wasn't I mean, itself. Yeah, plenty of right. countries, you know, they just just told the um, told the young men you're going off to war, like it or not. There wasn't any such thing as a referendum. Yeah. No, so anyway, it's going to. I think and I we might know leave the country a couple of days. But at the time, the um, the troops who were ser- already serving, they voted, they voted no to com- to conscription. Mm. As well. Yeah, yeah. The, well, particularly the second referendum, they mm. which was uh, December twenty seventeen, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the, mm. the, there was a big vote, big yeah, anti-vote yeah, from the, yeah. the, the soldiers themselves. Which was, yeah. you know, interesting, very interesting in mm. itself, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. of course, another hundred millions being spent on the Sir John Monash Centre on the fields of um, the Western Front. Yes, yes. That's, really? Yep. Yeah, there's one. <laughs> to, to commemorate the Australian mm-hmm. troops? Yeah. Mm. At, um, in France? Or Villiers, in... Bretonneau. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, like over that. there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a that was a Turnbull initiative, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. But it's of course the oh, five hundred mil extension. Put that towards the NGV. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. well. Yeah. <laughs> apparently the apparently the NGV roof's leaking so badly they've actually have to put out the buckets and the Really? The pots and pans. They could make that an art thing. <laughs> Participatory yeah. art right. exhibition. With their appetites. That Every is. 24 hours, somebody um, volunteers to change the bucket. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The 500 mil, I bet they won't be able to, as Brendan Nelson, would, who runs, of course, the memorial. Mm. Would tell us won't be able to accommodate any of the any anything to to acknowledge the uh, mm. the local wars, the killings of Aboriginal no, people no, in this no, country. No, 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 too, no, too difficult. No. Yeah. So, in fact, he, as we know, he did knock that back. It was suggested that in fact uh, we should uh, we uh, should have a memorial to the wars on Australian soil. They knocked uh, it back. But, he, but Brendan Nelson said that was totally inappropriate. And oh. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course, nobody's asking yeah. the question whether they could reallocate the space they've got at the war memorial. To, to accommodate the more recent wars. Well, architects are carrying on about this actually, because apparently there's a building that was that's only ten years or maybe mm. maybe close to twenty years old now, um, which apparently has some amazing architectural significance there, which is going to be torn down in this new oh, okay. development. Is, is this the memorial in Canberra or yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm. interesting. The hulking thing up on the, <laughs> on the hill. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of people going out Friday night to protest against housing, well, protests are all, all very well, as long as they achieve nothing, of course, but let's hope um, this one does. But, but um, Adani has, has, has now put up a, a lower-grade proposal, so to speak, uh, for its uh, Cartwrightal mine, and um, the bloke from Mr Dow, the bloke from um, 
from Lucas Dow, the chief executive of Dani, said they they believed that people would still protest despite it being the focal point, etc. I would hope, now this is the bit I love, they always say this, I would hope that people respect the law and they don't interrupt the commercial process and that they don't put themselves or others at risk from a health or safety <laughs> perspective. If, if activists have a different view, that's fine, but they need to abide by the law. As with any business, we plan for potential disruption. So there you are. And it's always the way. They, as long as you protest in a way that has no impact on what mm-hmm. you're protesting mm. against. It's and it's okay interesting because he's fully aware that the law is on his side, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> God forbid the law should be in the public interest. <laughs> oh, that didn't need to say that. Yeah. <laughs> the Queensland police will be fully on his side, don't worry. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's right. And on that, by the way, um, a bloke called Brian Preston, who's the Chief Justice of the New South Wales Land and Environment Court, has warned businesses that they're facing an avalanche of uh, cases against them based on climate change and they had better wake up to themselves. So I just thought that was interesting. That it's going to be, he, he says there'll be heaps of um, climate litigation going on with people carrying on it's, because uh, they... It started, so it started in the USA, I know that. Yeah. I think mm. there, there are cases in the California courts, yeah. It's probably something to do with the fracking and the lands, mm. you know, mm. the landslides and stuff like that, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, the we've mentioned a few times about superannuation on this program and the way that big business wants to get its hands on it. And Anthony Pratt, of course, uh, the richest bloke in the country, had a conference just two weeks ago where Paul Keating went to his, his apartment with a lot of big business people. Didn't see any workers were there. Or Paul was there, he represented the workers. But um, And Paul says also, you know, super funds really should invest in Australian business. So, well, there's all that you money know, to get a, your hands a, on. In that sort of a yeah. generic way, that, that is quite, quite a good idea. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they, <laughs> they, they see it as trillions of dollars there that they can get their filthy little hands on. Yep, yep. Well... Did you see the article in today's papers saying that um, the the Grattan Institute released a report about superannuation in Australia, saying that the um, the super funds and the insurance agencies and everything have been kind of fear mongering, and that actually um, the average Australian is quite well set for retirement, and there's not really so much cause for panic as as we've been led to believe. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's, that's right. Interesting. That. Yes, that's right. And they, like, we quoted a bloke last week who said that the reason that they, um, you know, there's really the, the reason why why industry funds so outperform banks and other you know the retail funds mm. is uh, not because they're better investors, but they invested in better things or something. I mean, he, he had an argument that absolutely made, made his made our argument for us. Right. Yeah. As I said at the time, I'd hate to be I'd hate to have him his well, be on my side in a debate. Well, there's that thing called churn, you know, where you keep turning things over and over. That's the way the consultants and the um, financial operators make their money. They make their money every time the the investment is reinvested another Mm, time. Well, the Royal Commission's getting back to it. And and somebody's also assessed the superannuation returns and said that the, the the best returns would have been achieved if the money had just been put in one... Fund, one one fund mm. that follows the st- stock market and left there that mm. would have pr- produced a much better return <laughs> than, moving than the it returns around. that have happened mm. for any of the funds. <laughs> the time they get there, so, by the time they get the grizzly mitts on, <laughs> on the fees, on the money on the way through, yeah, yeah. that's right. And that's another reason why we have such a huge financial sector in Australia. Of course, is playing with the money from superannuation. Yeah, right. Yeah. So is our financial sector bigger very than those big, of other it's countries? It's very big for our size economy. Really, yeah. mm. I had no idea. 
Yeah, well, the the Hain Royal Commission's looking at it again in the next week or so, and so submissions are rolling in. And just this week, as was reported yesterday in the Fin Review, um, the uh, ANZ Bank, which ANZ is not as good as NAB, is it? But anyway, no. um, the, the ANZ Bank has put in a submission saying that superannuation legislation should be updated to make it clear that using members' money to pay for scaremongering via political advertising is unlawful. Um, oh, this, is, this is because, of course, the That's industry funny. funds put out that hen in the, the fox in the hen house yes. um, ad last year. <laughs> attacking them and, uh, so they're now saying that's illegal and, a, and the yeah. wrong use of their members' money. Like, it's better to actually just not use it for that purpose but take it out as fees yourself, which is much But, but of course, the industry funds pointed out that the amount that they did use on advertising was a tiny, tiny little bit, a few cents in, from, each, from each member. Mm. So, you know, they could hardly be accused of, of you know... It's only a little bit improper. No, mm. I don't think it's improper yeah. at all. They're really, you know, because yeah. the, the retail funds, they advertise and say, you know, we'll give you the best, you know, yep. and with their wonderful advertising things on TV, if that's okay for them to do it. Why is it mm. wrong for the for the uh, industry funds to say yeah, well, well, no, actually, well actually we we do a better job by being very um, frugal with you, you know? Well, we do advertise anyway. All yeah. those all those ads you see on telly where they have the two sides and the money goes up and mm. one gets more than the other. That's all mm. advertising mm. for mm. for that's super funds. Well, that's the uh, industry. But that's super okay. Funds. That's not political. No, the industry they're, funds yeah. and they're very careful now with those to, to put all the ifs and buts. Yeah, in. Yeah, that's and, right. <laughs> Dots and but it shows right. that you know with a. With an industry fund over, you know, a decade, you can be, you know, a few tens of thousands ahead compared with the retail fund. And mostly that's because they take out smaller fees than industry funds. Mm. Good to know. (laughs) Now, I think there are still conflicts of interest, though, in all this, because while we support them, I mean, what it means is, in, in effect, that workers are investing in other workers' companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, Why can't they uh, work, invest in their own? Well, you know, if you, if you believe that employing labour in the first place and making profit is exploiting workers, then you've actually got through the system workers exploiting workers, um, mm. which is an interesting contra- contradiction in itself. But also there was a story a couple of weeks ago, a headline, Militant CFMEU Booking Super Profits at CBUS. And a big surge in funds under management has given the militant construction workers super fund CBUS plenty of clout in the real estate market and helped its property development arm, etc. And they, um, we, they had supersized returns of 18.63% this year. And it goes on about all... So the not only militant, they're actually really good capitalists. Well, that's right. <laughs> exactly. And uh, they're in, as we know, we've mentioned many times, there's office towers all over Melbourne and in Docklands where CBUS is actually the developer. But oh, I think really, yeah, um, and <laughs> didn't know that. And I think this creates a conflict of interest in me. Obviously, apart from the mere fact of of, of employing labour and exploiting it, um, you're you're, you're the that... developer and you're also the union working on the site, which I yeah. find an interesting contradiction in many ways. Yeah. It's, just well, thought I'd mention. Just threw it up. But they pay their work as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, sure, I'm sure they, they do. Isn't sure that kind do. of great? Isn't that but that, well, no. If, if they, if they, weren't, if they weren't exploiting the workers, they have to pay them 100% of what their labour's worth, which means there'll be no oh, profits. He's, he's really gone Marxist on his own. Well, it's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> Surely it's so, still better than having a, a, a completely different developer who's just interested in their oh, own profits. Probably. It's probably. I'm sure they've got better wages and conditions than um, yeah. than other sites, but it still creates a conflict of interest, I think, when you're on both sides. 
right. sides of the equation. Right. A bit like real estate agents who tell you professionally they can represent the buyer and the seller simultaneously. Mm. Yeah, that's how good they are. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think... It, I don't yeah, well, yeah, I can disagree. Like I mean, it's a good thing. Thing. No, no, but these, these guys from the union, they're adapting to the society they're in, and they're and they're they're adapting extremely well. Very yeah. well. And, and maybe after, that's what they have to do to get real clout. Their, they're looking after their people. Yeah, it's another debate, but of course it comes back to that <laughs> question about whether by unions making workers' lives better and giving them better wages, they're actually yeah. prolonging the destruction of capitalism. Oh, here oh. we go. Nosedive. No, we're, still, we're, still, we're still aiming for the destruction of Well, we are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it here every week. <laughs> oh, I thought we were talking about the modification. Well, we sort of... Modification. We, we infer it here every week anyway. <laughs> well, I think climate change might do the job better than anything else. And the other one just is that um, before we... Oh, in nearly time, John. They'll oh, start yeah. shaking. No, so having, they've got I'm to get having, over 26 and they'll start shaking. Then. I don't want to talk transport. <laughs> Well, the the um, again mixture of public and, and private funding. Um, BioCurate is a, a joint venture at Monash in Melbourne, and it's about the er, the early stage commercialisation of pharmaceutical research. But they're doing it uh, in a in, in collaboration with Big Pharma. A number they've got one particular company at the moment. But they're open to other companies coming in. And I always feel there's real problems here in many ways once you have universities using public mm. money for research and then big companies coming in and ending up with the results of the research. Mm. Like, you always feel the big companies somehow always seem to rip off the public sector. Mm. Well, once again, the, the, guy has, the guy just shut and the horses bolted, Kevin, on that one. Yeah, yeah that, oh, long it's, ago. It's yeah, very hip yeah. now, this kind of public-private yeah, thing. Yeah. Melbourne Uni is building a well, whole... Remember the old Commonwealth Serum Laboratories? That's right. Yes. C- CSL. CSL. They're now a multinational. Oh, big, big. Called still called CSL, but they're yeah. multinational. Yeah. Mm. Privately held. In fact, an old, old, old campaigner friend, Tom Tyra, worked there. Oh, okay. Um, and he resigned because of the private, or the way it was being privatised, oh, okay. and yeah. and the fact that they, yeah, if he'd stayed, he probably would have got some free shares and be a rich man. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Speaking of that. pharmaceuticals, did you guys see this, again from today's age this article about the levels of um, pharmaceuticals in Melbourne's creeks and reservoirs? So they were testing uh, some insects, and I'm just looking at the figures. They contained 60% of the daily human dose of antidepressants, as well as... uh, Wait, 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 what is it? Quite Um, little insects. 68 other pharmaceuticals. God. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Well, the insect population, I reckon, has dropped incredibly, you know. I mean, uh, I mean, if I open my house to the garden mm-hmm. you know once upon a time you'd get you know flies and bees and things all boring their way inside in great numbers mm. now mm. that's so interesting not very many mm. at all mm. i knew uh, that there was a um, yeah. i knew yeah. that bees were in trouble but i didn't know about the rest that's, well I, I, that's just totally yeah. in my impressionistic but mm. you know it just it seems, feels to me that the number of insects around Mm. I saw a ladybird mm. the other day and I was so pleased because I haven't seen him <laughs> for about six months. <laughs> That's right. You ruffled your hair and haven't done yeah. it since. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's actually a segue into our next week's program. Thank you, Eugenia, because we are hoping we next week. We love segues haven't, on That's right. We haven't finalised it yet, but we are hoping to talk to people, someone involved with the Stony Creek Group um, because of the chemical fire a month that's, or two ago. That's that shocking. Still it? has destroyed the joint. And mm. um, imagine the chemicals in there. So. 
as mm. I said, I went and had yeah, a look at it a couple worst. of weeks ago and I spent a few hours looking at the thing and the damage is just dreadful. But we hope to talk to someone next week about mm. it. And we are, after two months, it must be a couple of months now since that file, just to what degree it's clearing up and how long it's going to take to go back to anything like normal, I guess. Is it still, uh, still draining yeah. crap into the creek? Um, yeah, well, it's just, Yesterday I don't think it is, but it's it's just that everything's died, you know. Okay, um, okay. They were, like, the woman I went with is an expert on this sort of stuff, and she showed me, like, I didn't even realise they were there, but there's oysters and mussels and things, and now there's just empty shells or dead shells, and, um, you know, um, seagrass has disappeared under Westgate Bridge, mm. uh, where it comes out, um, where the, the creek comes yep. out. Uh, there was apparently large levels of seagrass that had just disappeared yeah. since the fire. So, yeah, it's pretty awful. That's yeah, anyway. That's All right, transport. That, oh, no, he's got the helmet law. No, yeah, well, that's it. We're going to come to that. We're going to go to – this is transport now, John. We're yeah, two minutes over. You should be shaking like a leaf. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk to John about transport. Yeah. Okay, we're back on here on City Limits. It's Transport Day. John McPherson, of course, who um, comes in every month and talks about transport to us. John, a former yeah. Vice President of the Public Transport Users long Association, time long time ago. He's long time ago, he advised government who ignored him totally. <laughs> um, and, uh, Only 90%. Got, okay. <laughs> what was the 10%? Oh, the fact that they got some counter-peak trains so you could actually get into cities like Ballarat and Bendigo before 9am. Wow. Oh, right, is that up to you? Right, so all those people on that train now with their headphones on, not listening to us, will not know. <laughs> um, just wanted to mention um, that, um, yeah, the helmet, you mentioned this headline Helmets, here, John yeah. Helmet Law. Yeah. Look, it's just that once again, there's, the bicycle network keeps wanting to have you know people not wear helmets. Now they're yeah. saying off-road, etc. But I just think it's so stupid. I mean, helmets are so important if you have a fall. Yeah. I just and think there are bigger issues to talk about, you know? Yeah, like, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. I don't it, know what the issue is. I think it's I think it's the libertarian thing. You know, if I want to yeah. if I want to kill myself messily on the road on my bike, yeah. it's up. It's my my right. You know, yeah. I think. Although to be fair, they were talking about off road paths yeah, this they, time, right? Yeah, but, but they can still they, fall. They, but, Mm, mm, that's true. Mm, you just be killing yourself. Does that mean bike paths? For instance, yes. The concrete is as hard on the bike path as it is on Smith Street. Let that's me tell right. you. And I, I mean, I've mentioned it before, but I had a really bad fall going very quickly down Smith Street a number of years ago. Oh, now, no. leaving the studio after a Bricky show, and uh, well, it wasn't yeah, it was Bricky show. I think, with Bill Hartley got me in to do something, and uh, and I I. I felt the helmet take the impact when I hit it the road. I went down and smashed mm. my head, smashed into the road. If I wasn't wearing a helmet, I would have been quite seriously mm. injured. Mm. Oh, gosh. And it was like once you get once the helmet takes that sort of impact, you've got to get a new one. By the way, cause mm. it, but it, yeah. it was like being in space or something. This feeling, but it, you, you know, I realised subsequently yep. in particular just how much the helmet had saved mm. me. So, so I'm a great advocate of helmets yep, on bikes. Yep, yep. Yep. Mm. So that. yes, it's it's um, it's one of those. Old issues that keeps on coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. I don't, know, I don't know why they keep persisting, but anyway, oh, as you say, it you might be libertarian. You see, it's partly again, it's because Australia has a nanny state. You see, we're the, we're the nanny state. Ah, right. Yeah. Well, they also argue you shouldn't have to compulsory wear a seatbelt in a car. Then, oh, well, they would probably. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but that doesn't mess your hair up, you see. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would happen, John. <laughs> that's a, I think that's the, that's a, apparently that's the issue. It's the messing up of the hair. That's right. <laughs> see, yeah. I can I can talk now you about can, it. <laughs> <laughs> for another few months, anyway. Yeah. Um, the uh, now this this conflict between public and private, we were talking about mm. with other things, but mm. you know we've got a public transport system, uh, at least a private privatised public transport mm. system, which I suppose that's a contradiction in terms in many ways, in fact in all ways I can think of. Um, but it, it's a strange one because as we've mentioned many times, the, the, the state still owns all the infrastructure, it owns all the property, mm. but it hands billions a year to the private companies to run it. Mm. But where's that crossover? Because there was a... a the bus deal, as you're aware, there's been threatened bus strikes and the first one was settled when the government intervened and put money up. And there was one last week, um, again, at Venture. No, it wasn't Venture, it was the other mob. Um, but anyway... Cranstev. yeah. Mm. Um, where they threatened to go on strike. I think they were going to go on strike last Friday. Uh, but it was settled because the government stepped in and put up quite a lot of money mm. to mm. pay the workers super and, <laughs> and give them a pay rise. <laughs> Now, uh, it seems to me when it's a private company in there for profit, why should the government... Mm. Um, in fact, the government offered to underwrite the 1800 one-off superannuation top-up for each driver in addition to a 4% pay rise each year. So we're paying for the 4% pay rise, mm. presumably, mm. on an ongoing basis. Now, mm. if it's a private company in there for profit, and its profit mainly comes from government handouts anyway, mm. why should we give them more money? Reminds yeah, me well, of, um, I mean, it's off topic, but reminds me of Scott Morrison trying to give government subsidies to the <clears throat> coal energy mm. plants to mm. offset their future carbon emission mm-hmm. tax. <laughs> it's just yeah, so or, or outrageous. Force feed them with money to keep their coal plants running for artificially that they running. Want, to, want yeah. to close down. Yeah, yeah it's similar. Similar. Kind similar. Of yeah, well, it's, well it's, it's, it's the best of both worlds, really, for the private, private owners. <laughs> you know, there's, they don't have to actually. You know, run have, an efficient business yeah. and, and find enough money to pay their workers a, a decent wage. Mm-hmm. They can just turn around to the government and say, uh, "We need, we need extra." Mm. Uh, and of course, the government's stump up because the uh, users, the, the passengers, will still blame the government in the long term, long run, mm. you know, mm. if the buses stop running. So the government's caught. They've really got to. Yep. They've really got to come to the party. So. So, uh, as usual, you know, it's um, it's the government that that that, that um, has to sort out the mess, and um, it's just more of a mess to sort out when you've got another level of private ownership in there as well. Have, has anyone done a kind of comparative oh, yes. study of the efficiency mm. of the private system mm. versus the public system mm. that existed before? The late Paul Mees did that very mm. very much. But mm. well, you you go. Uh, well, well, there's pretty. It's it's. <laughs> It's it's very hard to compare apples with oranges in a way too. Yeah, and I suppose but, it's a different era as well. Yeah, um, but it it um, really for government they like it this way because they get they do get another layer of buff, buffering between them and the and the front line as it were. Someone to blame. They, someone yeah. to blame, mm. but in the end the blame still comes back to them. Mm. In, in the end. Um, but in the meantime, they can say, oh, t- talk to Transdev if your bus mm. didn't turn up, you know. Mm. Um, but financially, we don't um, mm. know if there's a if there's a gain in efficiency with privatisation or a loss. Well, Paul's figures showed no enormous advantage to the state if it didn't privatise it. Yeah, right. We hand, we hand them lots more than it would take to yes. run it ourselves. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, yeah. It seems, so, to, seems yeah. to be the way it goes. Yeah. Because mm. when you think of it, you end up with two two lots of management. Yeah. You've got to have government management to manage the private managers. Yeah. Who then manage the, the yep. system. Outrageous. <laughs> and the private, and unfortunately, what seems to happen too is the private managers allow the system to run down over the over the period of their franchise period. So they'll often end up at the end of the period with the with the equipment in bad. Yeah, in, okay. In bad uh, Rather order. than investing in maintenance because mm. they know that the government will mm. then have to stump up for new infrastructure. Because mm. they, right. ste- they step away, that sort mm. of thing. You know. And yet part of what they're granted is supposed to be for, mm-hmm. it's earmarked for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was reading about the um, yeah. the upfield line again in the paper and mm-hmm. how, the, how Metro is advocating for the government to construct a little bit of extra line mm-hmm. right at the end of the upfield line to allow more services to mm. run. It just seems amazing to me that they don't have the power to do that when that's a critical piece of infrastructure well, to allow them to I provide mean, a good service. We had a protest about that last Saturday, in fact, mm. um, and uh, we we ended up... Did you get it there? No. No, but Breakfast did report on it. I, know, I think I, that's the... That's right, I remember reporting on it. But we uh, we all caught... We got we met on the front carriage. I got it at Jewel, the front carriage of the train. Um, and um, there were probably 50 to 100 people. It was quite a good little rally, actually. Ended up, mm. up at Upfield. And the, so you were, the, you were travelling on the train up and down? We got the, no, we got the train to Upfield and we had the rally at Upfield. Oh, good. Um, because the, we, for those who aren't aware, the top end of that line, the Upfield line, between Gowrie and Upfield, it's a long run between the two stations. It's a single, single line. Track, yeah. So that, mm. that's, why they, that's the argument why they can't, we can't have a better than a 20-minute service. As I keep saying, we've you know, we got the advantage of whenever they go on on holiday timetables, we haven't got to look them up because it's the same <laughs> audience. Um, and, but, uh, Every second we, train yeah. could, t- could turn around at Coburg. Well, it could, but also... And that, that, would, that would mean that you could still run, you know, every second train to the end of the line and, you know, run a train every um, 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, you could. Yeah. Um, and that's... Well, the campaign is around a better service about extending the double line right out there yes. and putting a station at Campbellfield in the middle where Absolutely. there's now development yeah. and there's a long run between the yeah, two. Yeah, there's a lot, lot so, of new development So it's an ongoing campaign. There's a new mm. young group, um, younger group taken over because we had a campaign to save the upfield line back in the late 80s, early 90s and saved it from when the then Labor state government wanted to close it down oh altogether. Oh, my gosh. Remember Tom uh, Roper? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, How short-sighted does that look now? <laughs> and I sort of, you get your age going because on the train, on Saturday, um, a woman introduced and said, oh, Kevin was part of the campaign to save it last time and she wanted to shake my hand and she ended up speaking and I thought, gee, there's a new young group, it's not wonderful well, fighting for these things. The, um, so it's on anyway. The long-term plan is to, to, to finally connect the upfield line back to the main Craggyburn line because, of course, the, it used to connect, connect through there and um, divert the um, country V-line trains down the upfield route to the city mm. um, because the number of trains running on the um, main line via Broadmeadows will be so so that p- intense in Picota can handle the mm. handle the loads that they'll divert the, the V-line trains. So, yep. so more it trains. may well be that some of this resistance to improving the timetable on the upfield line is actually about leaving nice big gaps to run the V-line trains between the between the suburban line, oh. suburban trains on the upfield line. So don't get you used to a nice frequent service because then you'll scream even louder if the service is cut back at all to, to allow the V-line trains to run oh. without stopping between yeah. the, 
between the um, suburban trains. Yeah, mm. thanks a lot for that. That's right. <laughs> I just thought you better be aware of that. I think it's something along those lines is is definitely planned for somewhere uh, a, the next. A young woman spoke 10, there who um, who works at Flinders Street Station, and she was making the point, and when anyone who catches mm. that time of night knows. That platform, because of the 20-minute service, is absolutely crowded with people and there's major mm. safety issues involved it gets at bad. Flinders Street, mm. um, particularly around peak at mm. night. Mm. Um, mm. And you know, I've, I've often gone places and come home when school kids are going home and even that time of night, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's what, four o'clock or something. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost dangerous on that platform yeah. at times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. it's... It, it's um it's again, you know, it's the services that 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 run through marginal electorates that get the um, attention. Yeah, damn that's, it. That's well, Brunswick's good. probably going to be lost yeah. to Labor this time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So um, they well, they've, they've probably written that off already. The Greens candidate was on the train, I think, and right. so was the Socialist candidate. So right. was, <laughs> and Sue Bolton cheered it. <laughs> it was hardly yeah. whether you didn't know, I've got to admit, which is always bad at a rally. You always like to go to, if it's rallies big enough, you know no one, and you think it's a good rally. <laughs> but anyway, that was that. Uh, okay. John, um, also yeah. the government's promised more and more $6.6 billion again if it wins the election for uh, more mm. Skyrail and things. And they're, mm. they're talking about... No crossings at all between Flint, between Melbourne and uh, Cranbourne, Pakenham. Mm. And no crossings mm. that won't have a an over or under mm. or whatever. Um, and again, this six point six million always come, is always put across as being a public transport expenditure, but it, it's totally for roads. I mean, it's the roads that benefit from all that spending on level crossings. I don't give mm. a stuff if my train goes through a level crossing and cars are waiting or not. That's really interesting, in, isn't it? I well, never thought about in, that. In reality, yes, it's most, mostly, but not entirely, uh, in the sense that quite a number of new new stations have got built as part of the um, as part of the um, sky, sky rail thing. Does it enable um, um, more trains trains to go more frequently through well, those they, crossings? Well, they, they claim that, yes. Mm. But yes. in reality... Well... I don't. I don't know. I don't see much evidence that they try mm. and um, try and tune it around the needs of the car driver because you can't really in peak hour. Mm. You just open, you know, open and close the the gates when you have to. to. Mm. So um, possibly trains benefit to, to a small small degree, mm. okay. um, uh, and certainly new stations are a good thing. Mm. Uh, and and really, you know, it really they really do seem quite good. You know, you can. You come in under cover underneath the, mm. the raised bit, mm-hmm. and then you go up escalators. And yep, and of course it creates the opportunity to have public spaces mm. underneath the stations, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. from That's my perspective, is a great thing. That's yeah. the great advantage. Mm. You can have the, modal interchanges under there as well. Yeah, buses yeah. pull up. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, the Mernda. It's interesting. The new extension to Mernda out there on the um, what used to be the Epping line mm-hmm. that's, that's opened a couple of months ago. The stations on that are pretty pretty good, mm. and two of them they're elevated. Well, three are elevated actually. Um, two of them have actually got over, overall big overall roofs right over more, better than the Skyrail mm. stations, and um, um, sort of plazas almost plazas underneath. Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't bring the buses in. I think they could bring the buses in closer. They they still a few meters walk away outside, but it's but it's. Um, for Melbourne, it's very impressive. It's a big improvement, yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. Are the new stations being built to accommodate the nine carriage trains mm. they're talking about? Mm. I think they are, yeah. Or at least made so they can extend the station easily. Yeah. 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 That's, well, good. that's good. Good that's point, good. Kev. Because that that's, that's that is a good point in the sense that we worry about running out of um, capacity 
But of course, if all the if all the lines that need it have the trains extended from six cars at the moment to nine cars, that's magically a fifty percent increase in yeah. capacity mm. without running any extra trains. You know, you're just yeah. running bigger trains, mm. and that's that's a huge. We might have a half game. hour service. <laughs> <laughs> might be forty minutes. Look out! <laughs> well, often it is. <laughs> it's one of the problems if a train doesn't come. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you should campaign for the, the privatisation of your private train, Kev. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to admire their efficiency. Though. Sometimes on Sunday morning, for yeah. you know, I live two doors from the station. I yeah. sort of, if I go out the front, I hear, hear messages. And you, about 10 o'clock Sunday morning, you hear them saying, um, you know, the train has been delayed or something. You think, how can they do on a Sunday not run the thing properly? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Perhaps if somebody's gone to Mass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was, it was really interesting. I was in Brunswick the other day and I, um, I went, I rode past this billboard that was advertising a new um, residential development that's being built there. And the way that they were advertising it was they had this 3D rendered image of the interior of a flat and a mother with her two kids and the little speech bubbles coming out of their head saying, mm. come on kids, it's time to go. The train's arriving in two minutes, as in, you know, suggesting yeah, it's so a, close to the yeah. train line that <laughs> you could just pop downstairs. That may be the one I'm complaining about all the time over the road for me. <laughs> it's public railway land and they're putting these massively private um, very expensive private apartments, no public housing at all. Yeah. Not even what they call affordable housing, which in itself is what's mm. that mean? Yeah. Um, this was in the vicinity of Brunswick yeah. Baths, I think. Uh, oh, it's that, yeah. Well, it's that same area, but that's no, you're in a different one, but it's also mm. on the rail. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but yeah, and, and this one, I mean, and they're disrupting the community. The you know, pedestrians and cyclists are being redirected. Oh and, gosh, you know, it's so but, irritating how they've blocked yeah, off the bike yeah. path. Developers can do what they like. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's that's mm. so. That's yeah. That's that's part of it. Well, I'm just thinking about myself. <laughs> yeah. well, no, 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 no. Fair enough. It's pretty much the slogan, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Now, John, like. speaking of new trains and um, and getting people on them, etc. Mm. Uh, we've just ordered some new V-line trains. These. Um, bombardier things mm-hmm. uh, some more velocities yes yes, yes. and but they're going to take out they're going to put more seats in but they're mm-hmm. taking out luggage and bicycle areas yes. mm. um, which again has the bike and I think correctly in this case the bicycle mob up in arms but um, you know surely there should be space for bicycles on those trains and and I don't know at luggage I mean maybe they argue that most people are on their way to work commuters and only well, one I, 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 know, I imagine not, I could be wrong here, but they may be going to replace just one carriage in the current three carriage sets with one of the new carriages with the high density seating. Maybe. So, so oh, they're taking a toilet out as well. That's yeah, yeah. a bit of a problem on the trip. Yeah, so, so I, I assume that the other two cars will still have, you know, the um, space for, 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 for luggage and bikes and. Um, more toilets, mm. we Cause, hope. Because I guess if you're removing bikes, you're essentially encouraging people to drive to the station mm. and yeah. then well, from you'll the notice, station. You'll notice in the campaign, both sides of politics are promising hundreds and hundreds of new car parking spaces at railway stations. Oh. That is the most inefficient way to get yeah. anybody to the station. Yeah. And each of, each of those car parking spaces, just one space, oh. costs, I think it's at least 30000 Dollars. That's incredible. Isn't that, mm. isn't that insane? That's a figure you don't hear very often. No, no. Mm. And of course, and there's no charge, of course, for yeah, parking. Of course, because yeah. uh, yeah. national right to drive your car wherever that's you want. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And it, yeah, in terms of public spaces, you know, stations are such a great opportunity to create a little yeah. community public space. But mm. if you fill them with cars, nobody that's wants right. to go there. That's the way, Melbourne mm. way. Could I say too that the buying more and more velocities, it's now got got ridiculous. We should be buying much. 
much more um, suitable commuter rolling stock for the particularly the Geelong and the Ballarat lines. Um, in Europe and, and North America, they have big double-decker cars mm. and they, they can have uh, over 150 seats per car- carriage on two levels. Mm. And on commuter trains where you don't have that many stops, mm. that's, that's the sort of train you really should be using. Mm. So you, then you don't have to worry about getting longer and longer trains with the velo- velocities because you, you're getting mm. more, you're getting more, more passengers per car. You go up rather than out. Yeah, yeah, and you mm. and you put a you know you put a big mm. hulking diesel on one end and um, and um, away you go. Away <laughs> you go, and really that's what you see all over Europe mm. and uh, all over North America. It's uh, it's the way they run commuter mm. trains, but the velocities were really designed for you know quite minor minor lines, Loads, but yeah. of course they've been overwhelmed by the by the amount of people who want to travel on the Geelong and Ballarat lines in particular, and mm. they haven't um, mm. haven't upgraded. Speaking of that, Peter Flanagan, the bloke we had on a couple oh, of yes, months ago yes. about talking about his trip to Japan and public transport, he's now got he's best got back from Germany. Oh dear, yeah. <laughs> he was on the train Saturday. I had a yarn to him about it, and he want, uh, we might get him on next month. Yes, he's got all these good. now got more stories about public transport in Germany. Yes, so yeah, mm. no, well, um, comparing Germany's some. Germany's usually very good, but apparently lately they've been a little bit less than perfect. Um, well, but the Swiss apparently still run things immaculately, as as do the um, Japanese. Well, he talked about one where they have a that the, it's more a tram than a train, but the, mm-hmm. yeah, it's along the road, so it's a tram. Yeah. But it gets to the end of the line and then it it, it detaches itself and it keeps going, but it goes switches to mm-hmm. to diesel fuel, yep, so it yep. actually uh, yep, and then it, when it comes back, it just reattaches itself and runs on mm-hmm. electricity. And there's, there's a system that runs around the Karlsruhe uh, region that. Um, Runs both as a tram and a train. The same vehicles just happily get to the end of the tram line out of, out of the middle of town and r- roll onto the um, rail network and, yeah. r- and then run as trains. I could never understand why they have to be two separate systems. It looks, mm. I mean, to a, to a completely oh, person, well. they look so similar. <laughs> There's a problem here. <laughs> our trams run on standard gauge, four foot eight and a half. And our trains are on broad gauge, five foot three. So there is a problem. <laughs> sounds like a design flaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, planning you know, folding anyway. Yeah. There are quite a few of these tram train systems now in Europe as well, and they're really it's really interesting because they're they're a great way to bring the um, trains right into the centre of town if you haven't if you haven't got a, a rail system that brings the trains right into the centre of town. Yeah. The tr- you can use the trams. We mm. haven't really got that issue, but we could, of course, use it at the other end of the line, mm. where the, the train they could come. The trains mm. could come off the rail rail system and and run run maybe in a loop around the Do suburb. A loop around Castlemaine or something. Mm, mm. Mm. Um, um, but nobody here is even thinking along those lines. You are lines. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody who matters is thinking a lot. Oh right, okay. <laughs> That's more like it. Thank you. Um, look, I just wanted to mention a bloke called Ben Potter who writes for the Fin Review. He's obviously up to date with Melbourne public transport because he's got a story about that sky rail, the extension of uh, crossings thing. Yeah. And he says the new level crossing removals include sky rails eliminating level crossings from Moreland <coughs> Road, Brunswick to Bell Street, Moreland Road, Brunswick to Bell Street, Coburg on the Craigieburn line, which is interesting for people <laughs> on the Craigieburn <laughs> line, yes, yes. knowing they're going to cross Moreland Road and Bell Street in Brunswick and Coburg. Yes. And from Oakover Road, Preston to Murray Road, Preston on the Upfield line. 
Uh, again, we'll be surprised if we ever cross Oakover Road or Murray Road in Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have thought. He so, could have pulled out his Melways yeah. and sorted out his geography. And yeah. neither of them are on the. None of them are on the Craigie Boone line at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just thought I'd mention that. I just noted that. I think uh, he put it in there for a Trump young players. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. A vote for rail safety? No, not interested in that one. Well, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. So um, that's uh, the other one. Um, well, this week, of course, John with <laughs> BHP. I mean, their their rivals up up in in, oh. in, in um, oh. oh, you want to talk about that? Well, just it's oh, just yeah, interesting. They yeah, had the yeah. they they have driverless trains up there, but they had the BHP yes. had a driverless train that shouldn't have been driverless. Accidentally driverless. ended up costing millions of dollars I've of been, damage. I've been following that story. Yeah. <laughs> BHP yeah. iron ore train <laughs> trundling <laughs> towards the coast. 260 cars long, uh, weighing over 30,000 tonnes, the whole, the whole thing. Um, at least three big, extremely expensive diesel locos on the front end. And it, it stopped because the driver said he wanted to check that some wagon was not, you know, failing. And it I was 4am, by the way, I think it was in the dark. To, I think yeah. he wanted to have a pee myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's my <laughs> suspicion. And um, while he was off checking the wagon, the, the train rolled away. Oh, no. And uh, it, it is mostly <laughs> downhill, downhill towards the coast. <gasps> and um, It he, went 120 kilometres. <laughs> well, it went, what? no, no, it went 92 kilometres. And they, oh, they yeah. estimate that it, the average speed they estimated at 110 kilometres an hour. That's horrible. That's the average speed. Now, this thing must have got up to maybe 160 kilometres an hour down on some of the downhill grades. It's a huge train. How did it stop? Well, in the end, they had to um, set, a, set some points to cause a um, deliberate derailment. <laughs> and the derailment... The, the, is just amazing. It's just... It's, it, yeah. it looks like a something out of World War One, you know, it's mm. just these huge mounds of, of mangled wagons and mangled locomotives and huge, check it, check it on Google, it's worth it. Mm. And these huge mounds of, of iron ore, because each wagon carries about 100, 120 yeah. tonnes of iron ore. And, and where did it come off? Was it in the middle of nowhere? Or? Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. They, they probably chose where, very carefully yeah. where it came off. It was on a nice... Yeah, nice that's what 120, it was 120 kilometres from mm. the export port where yeah. they derailed it yeah, so yeah. um yeah, so about 200 200 of the wagons are, are, are destroyed and and three extremely expensive locomotives they're they're a, they are a five or six or seven million dollar mm. item each not to mention all the iron ore that's probably lying mm. around the place but, now. yeah well, that can be scooped up again i guess mm. in, bet, in the the dr- bet the driver's popular mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably getting a promotion <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. well yeah but what's interesting is um rio tinto another company who runs trains up there have trained they've already converted to automatic operation mm. they don't have drivers on their trains any longer mm. they control the whole thing from perth mm. like a model railway set yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> BHP might be thinking they might be better off without drivers too. You but think why? You think you'd have the, a double safety valve or something. Why, why the automatic systems didn't cut in? There are automatic systems that should have stopped it happening. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. More next month. Okay, that's out of time. Thank you all. John, everyone, who's going to, you're our guest today. Thank, oh, thank Edwin for doing a wonderful job. Thank you, darling, for doing a wonderful <laughs> job. And I darling. shouldn't call you darling. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> 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 All right, goodbye, everyone. I've wrecked, okay. I've wrecked it. I've wrecked it.